0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service. Let's uh, pray we'll get started. Father, we are under your word because that is your great grace to us while we live in this world. In this world, Father, our our reservoir, our, our, our place of rest is underneath your word because it is through your word our minds that are enlightened with the reality of God. Father, miracles have happened in this place because you have illuminated our minds with your word. And I pray for that continual grace to happen here this morning. We will talk about what it means to have faith. Father, I pray, we pray, Lord, that may you correct an incorrect definition of faith that we have carried for the, until now and give us a proper sense of what faith is and also know where, where, where faith comes from. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, things that I listen to in the car. Um, I listen to um, '80s love songs, and I listen to like this Christian radio station, and CNN and Fox News. I love my commute. I just go like, the channel surfing, right? So, I went. I was listening to like a Christian radio station on my way back home, like last week, and there was a pastor. Said, I forget, I mean, I'll tell you his name after the service because I don't want to dishonor him. But basically the pastor said, you know, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. I go, what? Yeah. Right, you know, righteousness is found in Christ. Now we are in Christ. If you're in Christ, Ten Commandments doesn't apply to you. I almost yanked the radio off my car, but I can't because it's digital. So I can't, right? But I was so mad. Having faith in Jesus Christ sets you free from the obligations of the Ten Commandments. That means, if you believe in Jesus, you could steal, you could lust, you could lie, you could hate. Incorrect definition of faith messes people up. right? And that is why we're having the study of the life of Abraham. Like I said last week, it is through the life of Abraham, we get a proper definition of what faith is. In this whole series of Abraham, I say it's going to last until, until early May, I suppose, Lord willing. But over and over again, we will see what faith looks like. But in order for us to know what proper definite what faith is, let's see what faith is not. All right. So that's a little logic trick to have a proper def- to have a proper understanding of what the definition of faith. We got to first see what faith is not. And to, to know what faith, what, to see what is what it, what faith is not, we'll look at the words of Jesus according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Let's read this together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is shocking. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. And what is he saying? He's saying, what faith is not, number one, faith is not only a sense of loyalty that you have for, for Christ. Right? It says, Lord, Lord. You see that word, Lord, Lord? When the Bible, when the New Testament refers to the word refers to a name or title twice, it means it shows affection, right? Like when I, you know, when I get up in the morning, I look at my, I don't know, I, you know, I get criticized for talking about my kids a lot, but too bad, right? It's it's my podium, right? So when I look at my kids in the morning, I go, "Hi, Charlotte, hi, Charlotte." That's what I do, right? And Charlotte goes, "Ew," right? That's what the, I, I, I show love, and I get rejected every morning. It's okay. Hi Charlotte, hi Charlotte is an affection that I have towards my daughter. Lord, Lord, similar. Lord, Lord means I feel affection towards you, Jesus. But Jesus is saying, just because you feel affection towards me, it doesn't mean that you have faith. What else? Jesus doesn't, Jesus says, true faith is not just doing works. What did it say? Once again, did we not prophesy in your name? Which means, did we not go to all the places around town to talk about the will of God, to talk about you to other people? That's what prophecy is. And do these guys who said, Lord, look what I did. I went down to prophecy on behalf of you. Jesus says, I don't know you. What else? Jesus says, miraculous experiences. They said we drove out demons and performed many miracles. Jesus says, too bad, I don't know you. According to Jesus, faith is not only having a sense of loyalty and love for Christ. Faith is not only doing the works of Christ. Faith is not only experiencing miraculous things of God. These things, as important as they are, in and of themselves, are not evidence of true faith. Don't get me wrong, it is absolutely important to have a sense of love and loyalty towards Christ. Right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled in, in, with an inexpressible glorious joy. It's true. If you are a Christian, if you're truly a born-again Christian, if you're saved, you, your love for the Lord will grow. Your affection and sense of loyalty for the Lord will grow, and that's true. Also. If you are in the Lord, you are commanded to serve the church. Do His will to serve the church. You're commanded. If you are part of the body of Christ, you are commanded to serve the body. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says to rebuke the people of the church who are not working for the church. Rebuke them for their laziness. If you are a Christian, you are called to serve the body of Christ with your gifts. Period. And if you are a Christian, you will experience the miracles of God. I guarantee you. In this place, in our little church here, I've driven out demons. Did you know that? I'll tell you my ghost-busting story. I've driven out demons here. I did. I experienced miracles here. Right? Like, for example, like the most recent marriage that I did, when Phil and Olivia, I can tell talk about them because they're not here. Right? In the morning, it was raining. And I told Olivia, don't worry. By the time you will get, you will stand your vows at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun will come. You know what happened at 4 o'clock on, the, on that day? P- clouds parted. Sunshine. Wha- in the service. I've experienced miracles when I'm here, as I'm serving you. But just because you experience miracles... Just because, just because you drive, drive out demons, just because you feel love for the Lord, just because you do His work, it does not mean those are the marks of true faith. What is the mark of true faith? Jesus says, verse 21, Not that many of them will say, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In the last verse 22, Jesus told them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why is Jesus calling, telling these, these people, I don't know you? It's because they were lawless, which means it's because they were not obeying the commandments of God. It's perfectly possible to feel affection for Jesus. It is perfectly possible to do works for Jesus. It is perfectly possible even to experience the miracles of Jesus. And yet, you don't obey the law. The mark of true faith, the mark of a true disciple is obedience to the world, to the, to the revealed will of God. Listen to me carefully. Love is important, service is important, miracles are important, but these things don't mean anything if you do not obey the will of God. Because obedience is the mark of true faith. People tell me that, you know, I give off the impression that I don't believe in miracles or tongues or, or whatnot. I mean, I don't know about tongues. I don't, I've never really heard any real tongues before, but I, I believe God works miracles. I really do believe that. But the reason why I don't emphasize that is because that's not the key cornerstone of what God wants His people to be. The key cornerstone of what God wants his people to be are people who obey the will of God. Because that is the mark of true faith. And you can clearly see this in the life of Abraham. Right? Last week we talked about God's promises to Abraham. Right? Abraham was 75 years old all his life. He was a, he was a moon worshiper. He had no idea who Yahweh was. 75 years, that's a long time, for, right? For, for, until he was an old man, he was a moon worshiper. But to this moon-worshiping old man, God appears and says, "Abraham, go forth from your country, from your father's house so, and go to the nation, I will pr- go to the place I promised you. I will make your name great. I will make your father a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who are cursed to you, and I will make you source, the source of blessing. The world will be blessed because of you." Abraham listened. And what does verse four say? Abraham listened. In verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. The Lord revealed it. Abraham said, okay, I'm going. He packed up and he left. Abraham obeyed. Once again, the mark of genuine faith is simple obedience to the revealed will of God. God revealed this great promise to Abraham. Abraham understood it. Abraham said, "Okay, I will do it." He packed his stuff up, took his wife, took his possession, and left. Obedience to the will of God—that is the mark of genuine faith. That is the mark of you. That is the mark of a person who is truly born again. So we are called to obey. What is the reveal? God doesn't come to us in a voice like He did with Abraham. Right? He didn't say, Jay, go preach this text to, to embrace the Sunday. He doesn't do that. He, we don't hear God's voice audibly, but we know what he, what his revealed will is. What is his revealed will? Scripture. The Bible. Right? His revealed will to us is the Bible. And his call to every Christian is to obey the Bible. Obey His will in the Bible. That is the most important thing. You know, we're works-oriented people. We're performance-based people, right? And therefore, we think, if we just kind of like, you know, work for God a little bit, sacrifice ourselves for God a little bit, then, that, then God will be happy with us. We're very works-oriented like people, right? If we just do the things of God, then God will be happy. But that's not true. Right? According to 1 Samuel verse 15, 21, right? It's Samuel tells King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed to the Lord's commandment is better than lifting up all the fat, fattened rams in your in in your property. Sacrifice. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. We have a mentality. God just wants me to sacrifice for Him. Sacrifice in terms of coming to church, sacrifice in terms of serving the church, sacrifice in terms of doing things for Him. If we just do things for Him, then God is pleased. No, that's not true. God is pleased when we obey. More important than me preaching up here, as as important as it is, more important than me preaching up here, it's me obeying Him every day about lust, about money, about the way I treat my wife, about the way I treat my kids, about the way I treat my paralegals, about the way I treat my, my, my clients. More important than what I say here is how I obey Him Monday through Saturday. More important than you going to missions, for example, is whether you're going to obey Him about sex more important than anything that you do things for this church, as important as they are, they're secondary to the issue of obedience. Are you going to obey Him about sex? Are you going to obey Him about lust? Are you going to obey Him about greed? Are you going to obey Him about anxiety? Are you going to obey Him about lying and stealing? Every day? Are you going to obey Him How about the way you treat other people? Are you going to obey Him in regards of forgiveness? Are you going to obey Him in in regards to kindness? Are you going to obey Him in terms of denying yourself for the sake of other people? Are you going to obey Him in these areas? I think we're we're so caught up in doing great things for the Lord. He does not want you to do great things. He wants you to obey. Are you obeying Him? If you are, you have faith. If you're not obeying Him, we must, we must, we must carefully uh, carefully observe whether we truly have faith or not. Obedience is the mark of genuine faith. Not only obedience, the second, second mark of genuine faith is commitment. Verse 5, Abraham took his wife, took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they acquired in Iran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Not only when God appeared, not only Abraham decided to go, he decided to take everything and everyone that he, that that he loved, and he decided to go. That's commitment. I love Star Trek. I'm glad, I'm much sad that Sean's not here. Star Trek, right? Star Trek for those of you who don't know because you guys are young it's a show about a movie about the starship enterprise and their mission is to journey to the different parts of the universe to to, to observe and study right you know the different life forms out in the universe so they go to different planets and when the starship enterprise go near to planet it doesn't just go into the planet with every the ship doesn't go into the planet what does what does, what does the ship what does the captain do he sends out a, a missions group right he sends out you know, a search squad, right? With four people, right? And they energize to a new planet and they check it out first. The whole spaceship doesn't go because in case there's something wrong with the planet, the spaceship's going to blow up. So if you, you know, not rather than risking the spaceship, they send a search committee to show to see what the land is like, right? Abraham didn't do that. Look. You know, people tell me, you gotta diversify your portfolio, right? You can't put all your investment in one basket. You gotta like diversify. Because in case one, you know, area goes wrong, you have other areas to like supplement your income. That's smart. Right? So if Abraham was wise, when God told him to go, what would he would do? He would say, okay, God told me to go, but before I commit, let's send some of my servants, maybe I'll send Lot, right, to the new land that God has shown him. To make sure everything's okay. And if everything's okay, then I will move. He could be more strategic about this. But Abraham didn't do that. God said, go to the land, I will show you. And Abraham said, okay. He took everything and just all in and he just left. That is commitment. True faith is not only obedience, it is commitment. Commitment with everything that you have and everything that you are. We're very good at compartmentizing, right? Okay, so this is the area of my life, and I will just give God the Sunday piece of my life, and I'll give it to Him. rest of the other piece, it belongs to me, my girlfriend, my kids, but this area of Sunday, I'll give it to God. We just give God part of our lives. That's not genuine faith. Genuine faith is all of your life. Your job, your money, your time. Committing to him there's a church that I, there's a pastor that I love in Korea he's also a pastor and lawyer fantastic guy right and he when he baptizes people in his church he dunks them in water and when he baptizes people and dunks them in water he asks them to bring their wallets and their business cards and put them in the put them in their and put them in their pockets as they're being submerged and the reason why he does that is a symbolic gesture. He's saying, when you are baptized and born again, not only are you just coming up, but everything about you, your money, your, your business card, your identity, everything in that wallet belongs to Christ. Being born again means every part of you belongs to Him. That's commitment. And that's the call. No, it's not just, that eh, one piece there, let's give it to God a little bit. No. Everything. Abraham committed everything to the Lord. Genuine faith definition, mark of genuine faith number three. Obedience, commitment, and you will go wherever the Lord will lead you. Whether that place is a place of, a place of good things or a place of bad things, mark of genuine faith is this. You will follow when, where the Lord leads you. How do you know? Let's go. Verse 7. Verse 5. Let's continue. Let's continue verse 5. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. And at the time, the Canaanites were there in the land. So God told him, Abraham, go to this land. Right? And Abraham, okay. And he left. And you would think, the land that God promised you would be like, Great. Right. If something that if God tells you to go somewhere, we assume that it's going to be this like trouble-free, hassle-free, glorious place. When Abraham went to Canaan, the Promised Land, you know what he discovered? The Canaanites were there. Who are the Canaanites? Canaanites were like just many tribes of people. There are many tribes living in Canaan, the Promised Land, during that time, and these tribes. We're not friendly to the things to to God and His people. How do you know? The whole book of Joshua is about about Joshua driving out the tribes of Canaan out of that land. Right? So when God took him to Canaan, it was filled with hostiles. People who are not welcoming to Abraham. What does this mean? Just because God told you to go to a place. It does not mean that place is full of milk and honey. Oftentimes, the place that God wants you to go is place of difficulty, place of hardships. But you, but genuine having genuine faith is this: having genuine faith means that you go where He tells you, even if that place will involve heartache and heartbreak and difficulty. That place, you will go to that place. Listen, the Bible is clear. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He sometimes leads me to green pastures, right? He does. But sometimes He leads me to the valley of shadow of death. Number one, Psalm 23 says, we're sheep. God's people are sheep. And as sheep, we follow the shepherd. We can construct what we want to be. We can plan out what our lives are supposed to be. But at the end of the day, we are being led by God. You can have all the plans for yourself. But ultimately, it is the Lord's purposes will that prevail, and ultimately, if you are His, He will lead you to the place where you want to go. Oftentimes, He will lead you to the place where you don't want to go. Regardless of what place He leads you, you are to follow. Let's say you pray for a job that you want. You pray, you pray, pray, and let's say God gave you that job. Just because God gave you that job, it doesn't mean you're gonna have a boss who's understanding. It doesn't mean that you're going to have co-workers who love you. It doesn't mean that you have clients who are cooperative. No. In fact, sometimes when God leads you, He leads you to purposely difficult places. Look, let's look at the disciples. Right? Eleven of them. God used them to change the world. Right? But ten of them were executed. John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness testifying about God and he's the first man who saw Christ for who he was. But how did he end his life? He was in prison. Got his head chopped off. Job. God made him wealthy. But God took everything away. Just because you have, you believe in, you believe in God and you are led by God, it does not mean it's going to be a trouble-free existence. Sometimes He leads you to that place so that you will depend on Him. So that you will see His glory and you will do His will. There's a pastor that one of the sermons that changed my life. YouTube this, changed my life. A sermon that changed my life. Ten shekels and a shirt by this guy named Paris Reedhead. Ten shekels and a shirt. Love that sermon. Like, write it down. Ten shekels and a shirt. Go Google it and listen to it when you're on your drive to, drive back home. It's 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 um, preached by this guy named Paris Reedhead. And Paris Reedhead thought when he was a young man thought God was calling him to Sudan, right. God said, I'm, he thought God was leading him to the Africa, like Sudan is a country, little country in Africa, and God wanted to go to Africa. So, so said, okay, I will go. Right? So he's a passionate young man. And he went to Sudan. And he went to a little town in Sudan, and he started preaching the gospel there. But you know what he discovered when he went to Sudan? The people in Sudan did not, did not care about Jesus Christ or God. He thought God sent him to go to Sudan to preach, but he was there for a year, three years, and no converts. People just did not care. Three years is fruitless. Three years he comes and this Sunday, like this Sunday chapel is like empty for three years. And he complained to God. God, you sure this wasn't a mistake? There's no fruit here. How can this be? Why do you send me here? There's no one here. And he heard the voice of God telling him, Is not my name worthy of being preached? Is not my name worthy to be declared in this place? Even if no one will listen to you, will I not get the glory if you properly preach my message? Paraswara goes, Oh! It doesn't really matter whether I feel being useful or not. That's not the issue. The issue is glorifying God wherever you are. He will lead you to difficult people, difficult places, impossible situations. And I know you want to leave. But maybe the call is not to leave. Maybe the call is to cry out to God and to ask Him to reveal His will for you in that place. Having faith, just like Abraham, means going to situations and circumstances that you do not like. Staying and being faithful there. Mark of faith number five. Mark of faith number five is understanding that we are strangers and foreigners in this world. We are sojourners. To have faith, to have genuine faith means you do not look at this world as your permanent home. That you look at this place as a stranger. That this place is not your home. Your home is in the world, to, is in the kingdom to come. Let's, let's go to verse verse, verse 7. Verse 5 again. Okay, so when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the, the place at Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. Let's look at verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 9. And Abraham journeyed on still towards Negev. So Abraham arrived at Canaan, the promised land of God. But he didn't just go... Oh. Come here! And start building a house. No, what did he do? He started to travel inside that land. The first land he traveled was, he traveled to the center of that land called Shekin, Right? And then, and then from there, he went to, he went, he went from, Shekin is here, he went south to Bethel. Right? And, and from Bethel, he went to, he went east. Right? The hill country east of Bethel. He came to, he went east to Bethel. And from Bethel, he went south to Negev. So even though he arrived, he continually moved on to the promised land, pitching tents while he was traveling. He arrived in the land that God told him to arrive. But rather than establishing himself on that land, he continued to travel in that land. Why did he do that? The answer comes in Hebrews chapter 11, verses uh, 8 through 9. Let's read, from, uh, let's read from verse 7. By faith, um, I'm sorry, let's read from verse 8. Sorry, Ashley. Let's read from verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as Isaac did and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So what does this mean? Why didn't Abraham just establish, build a house for himself as soon as he came to Canaan? Why did he start continue traveling on inside Canaan like a sojourner? It is because Abraham, according to Hebrews 11 verse 9, it is because when Abraham came to Canaan, he realized, even though that land was promised by God, that land is not complete. Even though he arrived at a place where God wanted him to be, that place was not complete because God has not, God has not felt finished, God has not completed building that place. When Abraham entered that land, he realized, yes, this is the land that God is going to give him and his descendants, but it's not complete yet. God will still have to do his kingdom work. Therefore, he didn't settle there. He was looking forward to to the day where God will complete his kingdom in that land. That's why he traveled on and on and on. Because he knew that land was not complete. The complete world it will be the world to come. Do you understand? Do you get it? That's why he traveled. Because even though Canaan was the land that God had told him to go, it wasn't a completed land yet. God still had building to do. And that is exactly how we're supposed to look at this world. This world in its present condition is not the complete version of the world that the Lord will have promised. The Lord will one day establish His new kingdom and new earth in this world. The Lord is in the process of building His kingdom in this world. That work began two thousand years ago when Jesus Christ came, and you will be complete when Jesus Christ comes back. Right now, this world is a is a is a building in progress. You understand? Look, I take to I take I, I go to the metro. I take the, I take metro to the Vienna metro. I park at the north garage. I love it there because it's closer to the metro. But north garage is in the the middle of construction. And there's a sign there, to be complete in like 2021, I think. That garage is not complete. It's the middle of construction. Exactly the world here. This world is not the complete version of the world to come. Therefore, as the people of God, whose home is in the new kingdom of heaven and earth... Our attitude toward this world is, the, is that of sojourners. We're traveling on in this world. Do not get too attached to the things and the promises of this life. Because they are temporary, don't you know? All the relationships that you have, whether it's parental relationship, whether it's a boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, it will pass. Your careers. They will pass. Nothing is permanent here. Do not assign so much value to your condition, or 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 to your condition, or your well-being in this world. It's because this world is not meant to last. I'm not saying, you know, just quit your jobs and be bums. That's not. That's clearly against God's will. But do not be so heartbroken because you don't get your ways here. My family got his way, got our ways here, I think. I think my, my father and my brothers are the most successful people that I know. But after retirement, after all, after they achieve what they achieved, after they retire, they eventually come down and they have nothing. Do not get so obsessed with the conditions of this world. Because this world is fading. Our citizenship is in the world to come. And that is a source of great comfort. I share my faith at work. Right? All the time. In fact, I think maybe my paralegals will come here. They say, they threaten me to come here one day. So if you see like a bunch of white people, then they're my paralegals. Right? So I share my faith at work. The benefit of sharing my faith, you know what the benefit of sharing your faith at work is? Christians who are not so bold start to share their faith at work too. Something amazing. You thought you were all alone, but when you hear someone sharing their faith at work, you come out of the closet too. And that's what happens. I share my faith at work. And one of the secretaries at my work, right? she's a Christian, and she became more bold. And she came into my office. Usually, like, when we talk about faith, she closes the door and we whisper. But on Friday, she came, on Thursday, she came to my office, didn't, didn't, didn't tell her, didn't close her door. And she said, my aunt passed away. And I said, I'm sorry. She said, it's okay. She believes in Jesus. And I said, great. She's in glory. And she said, yes, she's in glory. She took so much comfort and joy in the fact that we both knew that her aunt was with the Lord. Heaven to her, it's not a theory. It is the reality that comforts her. She said also, she had an aunt. She has an aunt. And her aunt is crazy about Jesus, she says. And her aunt who's crazy about Jesus Her son died of an OD, drug overdose. In her son's funeral, as in front of her son's friends, the mom who lost her son straight up preached the gospel to the boys. She says, boys, fear the Lord. Repent. This is a mom who lost her son. But she's there preaching about the Lord. Why? Because she is certain of her citizenship. She is certain of who she is in the Lord. She's certain that her reality is in the kingdom to come and not in the relationship of this world. We are sojourners here. We're just passing buyers here. Our home is in the kingdom to come. That's what it means to have faith. If you are obsessed about, I think it's understandable to be wanting to have a good job and having a nice house, and that's all good. But if that's your obsession, if that's what you're living for, then my then no offense, but I think you you're mistaken. Your citizenship, if your heartache is only because you don't have the things of this life, I'm really sorry to say. Maybe perhaps it's because you do not know that your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. True faith. It's being a sojourner here, hoping the world to come. And the last definition of faith from these verses from Abraham. True faith is about worshipping God. In Shaqim, what did Abraham do? He set up an altar. Right? He went down, and where did he go? He went down. In Shaqim, he built an altar of the Lord. From verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar of the Lord and called the place, and called on the name of the Lord. So he built an altar. As he was traveling, he built the altar in these two places. What is the significance of an altar? The significance of the altar is one, it is, it is a place of worship. And number two, significance of altar number two, it is the proclamation of God. When you build an altar, you are saying this place belongs to the Lord. You're proclaiming the Lord. Abraham was traveling, was a sojourner while he was sojourning in that land. He worshiped God and he proclaimed God. And that is exactly our calling in this life. Our calling in this life is to worship God and to proclaim his name. Once again, our purpose here in this world is to worship God and proclaim his name. That's it. That's what we're called to be. Worship. Private worship, public worship, family worship, worship. If you're not worshiping, you do not have faith. Look, I dislike the word quiet time. Because it's like, it's conveying the message, like you're you're like a yoga instructor or something. Quiet place with the Lord. um. I don't like the word quiet time. I like the word private worship. Reading the Bible, praying, is an act of private worship. And if you are a Christian, you are called to privately worship the Lord. Right? Quiet time, private worship, is not a place where you, you you know, get motivated to do things for God. No. Private worship is a place where you declare your love for the Lord. Praise His holy name. Examine your life in the light of who He is. You are called. For private worship, not only called are you for private worship. You are called for corporate worship, gathering together here as a people of God, worshiping together. That is your calling. If you, you do not like worshiping here, congregating together, worshiping here together, I don't think you'll like heaven very much because what heaven is is people of God coming together and worshiping God for all eternity if you don't like being here on Sunday I don't think you like being in heaven because it is about worship you worship God when you're you're employed you worship God when you're unemployed you worship God when when things are going well for you you worship God when things are not going well for you you worship and you proclaim his name to the people around you. That's the call. I went to the Arlington Smoker. Do we call it Arlington Smoker or Alexander Smoker? I don't know what it's called. Fantastic time, right? Fantastic time. Great tacos, right? Wonderful time. What made the time more wonderful? They're not my favorites, right? I, I have no favorites. Right? You know who my favorites are, right? Right? So, so you went to, I went to Darling Small Group and it was such a blessed time. And the reason, one of the main reasons why it was such a blessed time was everyone was sharing how they're sharing their faith at work. Right? A couple of brother, well, brother and sister was traveling somewhere and during their travels they were sharing their faith to the people that they were meeting. Right? One sister was sharing her faith with her unbelieving friends. Right, We're just sharing how we're sharing our faith with the people at our work. And this is because Pastor Jay pressured them to do it. It's because they are growing in the Lord. And as they're growing in the Lord, they cannot help but to proclaim His name to the people around them. And I said, that's how you're supposed to live. You're not supposed to keep the Lord a secret. To proclaim His name. I'm not saying be obnoxious about it. I'm saying build genuine relationships. I'm saying make the word of the Lord come true in your life so that you, will, you cannot help but to share your word with the people around, it, around you. That's how you're supposed to live. It's not, we're not supposed to build a, a, a nice little American dream for ourselves here. We're not supposed to like, build kingdoms for ourselves here. While we live, we're supposed to obey. We're supposed to commit. We're supposed to follow. We're supposed to worship. We're supposed to not be tied to the things of this life. That's how Christians should live. And that, those are the marks of genuine faith. Then the question I ask you is this. Do you have genuine faith? Is your faith these Is it increasing these things in increasing measure? Or is your faith some form of nebulous idea about God that you're in love with? Is your idea of faith some sense of like feeling that you had in the past that you're holding on to? Maybe you had a good Christian retreat back in the day. And maybe you're holding on to those good old days as the basis of your faith. Is that the basis of your faith? Is your basis of your faith things that you do for the Lord here on Sundays? These things. As good as they are, are not evidence of faith. What we talked about are the evidence of faith. Then the question is, how do you have faith? How can you make yourself obey? How can you make yourself commit? How can you make yourself follow? How can you make yourself think this word is not your own? How can you make yourself worship God? You cannot. Abraham could do all these things because God gave him faith. What is the definition of faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is being assured of the things that you hope for, and being convicted, being convinced of the things not yet seen. Faith, Hebrews chapter chapter 11 verse 1, is assurance of things to hope for, right? And conviction of things not seen. The only way that Abraham could be this man of faith was because God assured him that his promises were true. And God convicted him of the truth of what he's going to do for him. The only way that you can live a life of faith is for you to have assurance and conviction of who you are in Jesus Christ. You know what my worst nightmare is? My worst nightmare is that all of you will be a bunch of deists. You know what deists are? Deists are people who just, who just think there's a God. Right? You just kinda of agree that there's a God and like live your live your merry lives, just agreeing with there is a God. That is my worst nightmare. Worse than me losing my job as a lawyer is you becoming a bunch of deists. Just embracing the idea of God and not having God affect every any part of your life. The way you get out of this and the way you the way these promises of God become true for you. Is that the Holy Spirit needs to come and witness Jesus Christ to you. <clears throat> On our own, by ourselves, by our natural birth, we cannot, we do not, we are ignorant of the promises of God. We cannot hear the voice of God. The promises of God in Scripture is stupid. Our natural selves, we naturally want this world to be our home. On our own, we don't want to obey the things of God. We want to obey our own desires. On our own, we don't want to commit to anyone else but to ourselves. On our own, we don't want to go to uncomfortable places. Right? That's true. On your own, you don't want to obey, you don't want to commit, you don't want to go to uncomfortable places, and on your own, you don't want to worship God. You seek God when you need something, but you don't want to worship Him. On your own. And on your own, this world is your kingdom. That is the condition of sinful man. The transition from this person into the person who is assured and convicted of the promises of God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ died for you to give you a new nature and when you have new nature, these promises of God in Jesus Christ become sure and true. The way you live a life of obedience is being assured and convinced every day. He gave you His Word so you can be assured and convinced every day. He gave you this church so that you can be assured and convinced every day. Someone told me, Pastor Jay, Like they haven't been coming to church for a couple of weeks for for whatever reason and they feel their spirits being not as alert as they once were. Why? Because when you move away from the Word of God, the assurance and conviction starts to waver. God is calling you to privately worship Him. Meditate upon the promises of Jesus Christ so that your assurance and conviction will be stellar and strong. To have faith, to live a life of faith, you need assurance, constant assurance, constant conviction, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you have faith? Do you have true faith? Not this cheap kind of faith, but a rich faith. If not, you need assurance and conviction. That's pretty.